Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. Hey, it's so good to be with you. Happy Sunday. Um, How many of you, you are here because there's a family member that just got dedicated and you've never been to this church before? Just raise your hand. I just want to say welcome. Glad to have you guys here. It's a beautiful thing, on a, especially on a day like today, just to see families, see young families in life and just the vibrancy that that is. What a beautiful thing. Hey, um, we are in the middle of a Pentecost series. Uh, Pentecost was last Sunday, and so we're kind of extending the se- we're, We'll call it the season of Pentecost. I'm not sure that the church really has that, but we're, we're making it into a season. And uh, I, there's a little bit more that I wanted to get to than I was able to touch on last week. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. That's where we're going to be. Uh, spending all of our time this morning, 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, Last week, we talked a little bit about spiritual gifts, that we are given the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit comes with gifts that are there to build up the church. These gifts are rooted in love. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, Uh, but that they are there to actually empower the church to be the body of Christ here on earth. So once you're in 1 Corinthians 14, Would you go ahead and stand with me for the reading of Scripture? All right, these are the words of Paul to the church in Corinth and to us today. Verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Skip down to verse 22. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you were out of your mind? That's kind of funny, I think. Uh, Verse 24, but if an unbeliever or inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Verse 26, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's a no interpreter, the speaker should just keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. 
Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop, for you can all prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and grab a seat. I want you to imagine a place where life and faith, dare I say, is never stale. All because the voice of God is being listened to and applied daily. I want you to imagine a place where the heart and wisdom of God is accessed daily and it's eagerly shared. I want you to think about a place where you can learn your call, where you become effective in what you were called to do, and you become powerful against lies. All of the gifts of the Spirit are to be used to build up the church, but here it is before us today, especially prophecy. Everybody just say that with me, especially prophecy. Why? Why prophecy? Why, why is prophecy so important? And, and why is it that likely you have never heard a message in a church about it, or you have certainly never heard a message in a church endorsing prophecy's use or the use of prophecy? You know, I went to a, a wedding yesterday, and it was a Catholic wedding, so it was in a, in a Catholic church. And um, they take uh, weddings and marriage very, very seriously. I think we should, we should uh, learn from them in that case. Uh, because marriage to them is a sacrament, meaning that it is a sign that points to the relationship between Christ and his church. But in some way, in a mysterious way, in a sacramental way, it actually participates in the marriage of Christ and the church. So it's this very important moment uh, for this couple. And I, and I, I sat there thinking, you know, there, there's this whole ceremony, this very long ceremony all about uh, the, this sacrament of marriage. And I'm like, where does that come from? Well, it comes uh, from the book of Ephesians. It says, or I believe it's Ephesians, but where it talks about um, a man and a, and a woman will be united. This, and that their marriage represents Christ in the church. It says, this is a great and profound mystery. That word in Greek is mysterion. It's where we get the word in Latin, uh, sacrament. So from one word in the whole Bible, we have this entire theology of marriage and what marriage means. It's this sacrament. Paul has an entire chapter on prophecy, and you've never heard a message about prophecy? Why? Why? We need to understand what Paul's understanding of prophecy was. We need, I think, to understand what did Paul mean when he was talking about prophecy? Why is it so important to him? So Paul really has three messages within this uh, chapter about prophecy. The first is this. If you love, you will prophesy. So all people should prophesy. Look back down to your Bibles. Verse 1 says, follow the way of love. What's the way of love? Well, it's when you eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Look over at verse 26. 
He says this, what then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you, each of you, is this how you come to church, has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation? Think about the way that we often come, we come to church and we're like, what am I going to get from this church? I'm, gonna, I'm actually going to decide whether I want to go to this church based upon what I'm going to get from this church. Paul's like, you don't go to church to get something. You go to church to give something. Each of you, when you come to church, somebody's going to have a song. Somebody's going to have a revelation. Oh, God spoke to this to me this week. Can I share this with you? Somebody's going to have a tongue. Somebody's going to have an interpretation. See, to Paul, anyone can prophesy. In fact, everyone should prophesy. Because this is how we follow the way of love. You want to love well? You're going to prophesy. You know, in verse 5, uh, he kind of paints this picture of a room full of people uh, in order, but with the spontaneous utterances of prophecy, almost like popcorn prayer, like somebody has a revelation while another person's already prophesying, and then it's their turn to sit down, and then what do you have to say? Do you have a revelation? And it's this really beautiful picture. It actually reminds me of what we do at pre-gathering prayer. If any of you have never been to pre-gathering prayer, I'd really encourage you to come. It happens at 9 a.m. every Sunday, where we actually practice this. We take time to listen. Does somebody have a revelation? What does that mean? Is that resonating with anybody else? And oftentimes, these revelations, these things that are coming by the Spirit are interpreted, and then we eventually share those at each of our, at the end of each of our gathering. Now, it's important to note that this description of prophecy is a tad different from the prophets of the Old Covenant or the Old Testament who would kind of escape uh, the society to write their scathing prophetic critique against the nations, right? And Paul, you have to imagine, Paul, he calls himself at one point a Pharisee of all Pharisees. He's like, as for a Pharisee, I was perfect, right? He's okay with this change in prophecy. So some of what we're going to be looking at today is like, there is a definition of old covenant prophecy, and it is different than the new covenant prophecy that Paul is speaking about right here. Um, Paul's okay with this kind of spontaneous prophets in the church sort of thing, but I want you to note that this act of prophecy is not devoid of personal responsibility and control. So, second point of Paul uh, in this chapter is he's saying this, prophets can't say, the Spirit made me do it. Sorry. <laughs> Spirit made me do it. Look back down at your Bibles, verse 32 says this, the spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So in other words, this is not like trance stuff. When you hear the, you know, when even talking about prophecy, like probably for many of you, like, I'm, so, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? We'll get there. But this isn't trance stuff. This is not like the prophet is under the control of the spirit and just like babbling some kind of, you know, message or whatever. And at the end of it, you're like, spirit made me do it. You know, no responsibility for me. No, you are responsible for what you share, and so you must be open to confrontation and correction. So if we're going to have a culture of prophecy in the church, like Paul talks about, then we have to have a culture where we go, the, spirit of the, the spirits of the prophets are under the control of the prophets, so you're responsible for what you're actually saying. Because think about this. And we talked about this, I mean, this has been kind of our whole series, but the gifts of the Spirit are not about self-actualization. If you're missing something in life, you need the cross. You don't need the gifts. In other words, like, you're, you're, you, you, don't, you don't go, I really hope that this church accepts me. And they seem to be into prophecy. I'm going to give a prophetic word to the pastor. 
know what you're doing? You're saying, I want you to love me for my gift rather than who I really am. So we don't need any of that. This is about love. And if we're going to love, we're not going to use the gifts to manipulate the people around us. The spirits of the prophet are under, under the control of the prophet. Now, thirdly, Paul understood that this, there's a new shape of new covenant prophecy. So look down at your Bibles again. Uh, verse 3 says this, But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. And then look over at verse 24 again. This is the effect of this kind of prophecy. It says, but if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone's prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. You know, this description of prophecy is probably, to me, the biggest departure from Old Testament prophets with their doom and gloom. It just sounds different. New Testament prophecy is shaped by the cross, meaning the accomplishments of the cross actually influence your speech. The cross accomplished something that should change the way that you talk. The the Old Testament prophets, they didn't have the cross, okay? So what I'm saying is because of the victory of the cross, because God is no longer motivating people by fear, he's not using external motivators to get to the heart, he's looking for the internal motivation and getting to the heart to get your externals. Because he now is using kindness to bring people to repentance, our words, even words of correction, because this this is part of this, They should strengthen, they should encourage, and they should comfort believers. That's what Paul is saying. And Paul concludes that a church that engages in this will be naturally evangelistic. You know, he doesn't say... He doesn't say if a believer or an inquirer comes in while the preacher is speaking... They're going to be convicted of sin. Now, how many of you know that? Sometimes that happens. Or it doesn't even say when the people, when people are worshiping, they're going to see your worship. It's going to be so beautiful. The music's going to be so good. They're going to say, surely God is among you. No, he says when you prophesy. That's how important prophecy is. You want an evangelistic church? You want a church that's reaching this town? We must be a church that prophesies. Now, what exactly are we talking about? What is prophecy? What are we getting at? Well, let me develop this a, a little bit. This is going to take a moment. I'm going to need you to like to clock in. So uh, your shift starts now. Clock in. Let me develop this. Simply put, prophecy is speaking saved. Prophecy is speaking saved. It's looking at a world that's full of mess, and it is seeing it the way that God sees it. Or maybe even more specifically, it's looking at individuals who are full of mess, who are dysfunctional, who annoy you, who frustrate you, who seem to get in your way, and it is finding gold in them and pointing to it and saying, you know what I see in you? I see this. It's knowing people not simply by the flesh and all the experience that you've accumulated, built up in your life, That you could, you know, I know exactly what they would do in this situation because I just know them so well. It's knowing them by the Spirit. What does the Spirit say? They maybe don't even know themselves by the Spirit. And that's why a community is required to know them by the Spirit so that they can know themselves by the Spirit. So here's, here's, um, for you math nerds out there, 
<laughs> here, is my, here is my scripture equation for prophecy. You guys, don't make this tough on me. This has been tough on me the past four weeks. Don't make this one another tough one. Here is my scripture equation for prophecy. God has thoughts about people. Here's like the first integer. I, I, didn't, I literally didn't pass algebra two. I have no idea. Here's the first part of the equation. God has thoughts about people. A lot of thoughts about people. Here's what, here's what David writes. Your thoughts, how rare, how beautiful. God, I'll never comprehend them. I couldn't even begin to count them any more than I could count the sand of the sea. So God has thoughts about people, and he has a lot of them, okay? That's number one. And remember that Jesus is the divine word of God. If Jesus is the word of God, then Jesus has a lot to say. He's the word. Here's what it says in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So you ought to understand, at the very beginning was Jesus, and he's the word of God being spoken into all of creation. His words bring life, and that life is the light of mankind. In other words, we are made, what are humans? We're made in the image of someone whose language has power. When he speaks, a whole world of life comes into being. And what I'm trying to say is there are worlds of life and there are worlds of death. And if you're made in the image of a God who speaks and a whole world comes into being, then when you speak, you are creating worlds for the people around you to live in. Solomon actually understood this. So here's the next part of the equation. He says this, the tongue has the power of life and death. Worlds. And those who love it will eat its fruit. What I want to propose to you is that when you speak, whatever you speak about the people around you, whatever you speak to the people around you, you are speaking worlds into being. For some, they are worlds of life. Think Jesus. You're speaking Jesus into their life. And for others, they're worlds of death. Think uncreation. Your words are uncreating what God has intended in people's lives. Power. It's very powerful. The final part of this equation is a passage that we've spent a lot of time in, so I'm not going to spend too much time in it, but it's right up here on the screen. This is Paul. I would encourage you to take, write this down and to spend some time just reading this chapter because it's so profound. Paul says this, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In other words, I don't know what you're thinking. And really, even though I'm speaking right now, you don't know what I'm really thinking, right? Except my own spirit within me knows and your own spirit within you knows. In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God. Remember the Old Testament? His thoughts are higher than your thoughts, right? No one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. And look what he says here. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Whoa. So that we may understand what God has freely given us. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? And all of the, you know, Israelites, the old covenant believers would say, no one. Paul takes a left turn and he says, but we have the mind of Christ. <laughs> this is so profound. This is so profound. 
If you have the Spirit of God, you have been given the very tool to discern what God is thinking about a given situation. You have been given the tool to discern what God thinks about you, what he thinks about your children, what he thinks about your spouse. Who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but you have the mind of Christ? Wow. I knew a pastor once, he would say, God, would you mingle your thoughts with mine, and would you help me discern which ones are yours? I think that's a good prayer. Would you mingle your thoughts with mine, and would you help me discern which thoughts are yours? So here's my argument. Here's like the equal sign. When you begin to think on earth as it is in heaven, remember when, I, when Jesus says, when his disciples are like, teach us to pray, and he's like, pray on earth as it is in heaven. He's not just telling them, say these words. Although, how many of you guys know, saying the Lord's Prayer is a beautiful thing. We should do it all the time. He was giving you a, a almost like a cookie cutter is like a shape of, of, a, of, an, of a, you know, it's a shape. He's giving you like, here's the, the shape of your life. You're going to think on earth as it is in heaven. You're going to do on earth as it is in heaven. You're going to believe on earth as it is in heaven. And, and here's what I'm saying. You're going to speak on earth as it is in heaven. And when you do that, you're prophesying. You're prophesying. Now, maybe you think prophesying, really? Well, yeah, that's what, that's what sharing God's heavenly thoughts on an earthly matter is. That's prophecy. It's very simple, sharing God's thoughts on an earthly matter. Prophecy isn't a crystal ball thing. It's not tarot cards. And get this, maybe even this church needs to hear this more than anybody. It's not end times speculating. It's not, we don't need whiteboards. Do you see Paul, when you get the whiteboards out, no, he doesn't talk about whiteboards. We're not speculating about the coming of Christ. Even the Son of Man, Christ said, I don't even know the time. So it's a waste of time for us to, I, I, when COVID hit and, and all the craziness of the past few years, I kept getting emails from people in this church that were like, I think the end times are coming. I think, I'm like, we've been in the end times since Christ was, was resurrected. Have you read history? Things have been crazy forever. It doesn't take a prophet to look at the world and go, things are getting bad. I think these are the end times. It takes a prophet to look at the world and say, I think God sees the world this way. See, we all, you know, in our flesh, we all see the world this way. And so we are thinking earth to earth constantly. I think God sees the world this way. I think he sees you this way. Next thing you know, oh, it was like heaven. Heaven came into my life. I got a new glimpse of myself. I got a glimpse of of my church. I got a glimpse of my family. That person who used to annoy me, I saw them by the Spirit. And it was on earth as it is in heaven. At the core, prophecy is sharing the heart of God into a world without hope. And it strengthens and it encourages and it comforts. In a word, it, it, it simply recreates people. God spoke in the, in the beginning. He created. He still speaks and he's recreating. And, and this is why Paul says he's so adamant. He's so adamant. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire prophecy, especially prophecy. When you come together, each one of you have a prophecy, have a revelation. All can prophesy because this is how God makes history. This is how he makes history. 
You know, it's scary to tell the truth. It's actually scary to prophesy sometimes. You're like, I'm going to say this, and I don't even know how this is going to be received. I think the church needs a correction. I think we're going, we're drifting this way, and we need a correction, and I, I need to tell the truth. But I heard somebody say uh, recently, they said, if you tell the truth, whatever happens next is the best possible outcome because you didn't lie. So it may, it, there may be difficulty there may be pushback. There may be tension. When you aim to prophesy, you're going to tell the truth. And whatever happens next is the best possible outcome because you didn't lie. God makes history with people by anointing them to see the world from his perspective and then call that world into existence. And this is really what it means to be the Imago Day. It's what it's meant to be the Imago Day forever. Here's N.T. Wright. Uh, here's what he says. He says, the image of God is a vocation. It's a shape of life. It's a calling. It is, get this, this is such a great image. It is the call to be an angled mirror. Imagine like a mirror leaning up against this brick wall. It, it is the call to be an angled mirror reflecting God's wise order into the world and the praise of all the creation back to the creator. Your, your, your vocation, you're like, what am I designed to do? You know, there's a lot of other specifics I'm sure God will reveal to you as you live your life. But this is at the core. It's to be that angled mirror reflecting God's wise order, his words, his thoughts into the world and summing up the praise of people through gratitude, through thanksgiving, giving it back to him. Receiving in the secret place, in the scriptures, spending time in prayer and communion with fellow believers and then speaking that into the world. And this is really where reconciliation with the Father comes from. You know, remember how Paul gives this uh, example of why prophecy. You're like, why does prophecy matter so much? He's like, because when unbelievers hear the prophetic, when they hear the thoughts of God, the secrets of their hearts will be laid bare. See, what prophecy does is it says there is a God, and he knows you. He made you, and he knows you. And he knows what will make you really live. See, you don't even know what will make you really live. And so you're constantly grasping, you know, you're on that hedonic treadmill. Have you ever heard that term? You know, you're always looking for the next hit. You're always looking for the next high. You're always looking for the next accomplishment. And you're constantly going, 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 going. And you think that next thing's going to make you live. You think that next thing's going to make you live. And prophecy says, you don't even know what will make you live. There's a creator. He made you. He knows how to make you live. And so what prophecy does, when, when somebody who's an unbeliever is prophesied over, all of their hurdles of naturalism are jumped in a moment. And it says, what if there is a creator, and what if he knows you better than you know you? And this can happen anywhere. You know, I think it's a beautiful thing to happen at church. I, I really do. We practice this every single week at pre-gathering prayer. It's something we've even practiced in the larger gathering as well. But, you know, imagine taking time in your day to ask God what he is saying about the people you work with. And what if you were to just offer it to them, just say, hey, I think I have something encouraging. You know, I noticed this about you, or I just had this thought come to my mind, you know. Is, is this true? Because I think that might be true about you. Or, hey, can I, can I just tell you, I saw you do this the other day, and you know what it made me think? It made me think this. And next thing you know, you know what happens is the person, whoever, whoever has the most hope has the most influence. 
So, so if, you're, if you're this person, you want influence wherever you are in whatever job you're in. I see this on your life, Andoni. This is like, I see it all over you. Whoever has the most hope has the most influence. It comes with promotion. It really does. So imagine being in a coffee shop. This is something I used to do. I don't do it much anymore. I really, I was challenged by this text and by this message to do this more often. But imagine yourself in a coffee shop and just scanning across and just going, God, are you saying anything about anybody in this, in this coffee shop? Is there anybody that you want me to talk to to encourage today, to strengthen, to comfort? What about the various, you know, you think about the various people in your life. What if your word of encouragement, comfort, strength, what if it really is God's voice and it is God drawing them going, you just read my mail. You just laid bare the secrets of my heart. Surely there must be a God. I want to get kind of practical. How do we do this? How do we do this? Well, you know, part of why Saints Hill, this church, is so exciting to me is that it's a place where experimentation with prophecy is legal. It can happen. I, I've been to a lot of churches, and this is not legal. Okay, we're, we are like in illegal territory right now. And the reason why it's legal is not only is it in the text, but it's because we, we serve a God who is good. The goodness of God, make no mistake, is the, it's the core of our theology. It's the core of what we believe. Look, if you think, if you came to church today and you think that God is a mad dad who is grading you on doctrine, you will never step into this. It's far too risky. In fact, you may have to come up with extra biblical reasons for why the gifts of the Holy Spirit are not for today. But if you understand the goodness of God, here's a question, can you exaggerate his goodness? If you understand the goodness of God and the heart of the Father, then you will understand that you are free to risk with God because God calls you child. What do dads do with children? They play. God wants to play with you. This is how we play with God, with one another. We go, I think God might be saying this. I think he may be encouraging you in this way. It's just, it becomes play. So a few pointers. First, creating space to listen. You know, in a world with so much information, we live in the information age, our worship is focus. Our worship is focus. That is so convicting to me to think about my life, all the distractions of my life, and think, I, 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 I am worshiping whatever I'm focusing on. <laughs> so let me just ask you this. Do you have time to listen and to be quiet, to be alone? You know, when you're driving to your, your job or when you're walking around town, are you asking God, are you saying anything? Like, are you bringing the, the issues of your heart before him and saying, I need a prophetic word about this. I need to know what you think about this. You know, sometimes right before um, I fall asleep, I just simply ask. It's like the last thing I do, I'm like, is there anything else? Nope. <laughs> or is there anything? Sometimes I'm up for the next hour, so it can be sometimes inconvenient, and I'm like writing. I'm like, oh, you are speaking to me about these sorts of things. So creating space to listen. you got to create space to listen and actually get undistracted. There's so many distractions. The second thing that I want you to be aware of is that God made you and he intends to use what he's made. So sometimes God is speaking to you and you're like, no way, that's just me. Or you're like, you don't even, you're not even aware that God could speak to you in that way. So think about this. God's going to use your imagination. So you thought you were just daydreaming. What if, he's at, what if God is with you daydreaming? Maybe so. He's going to use your thought life. 
Sometimes there's just going to come to mind, you're going to be thinking about somebody, I'm sure this has happened for many of you, you're thinking about somebody and a Bible verse comes to mind. Or you're reading the scriptures and somebody comes to mind that's attached to that Bible verse and you share it with them. And they're like, you have no idea how much I needed to hear that today. How many of you that's actually happened before? You've shared a Bible verse with some, oh, we got a lot of prophets here. It's beautiful. So good. Uh, for me, often what happens if I take time to listen for somebody and to, and to prophesy over them, uh, I'll get like a little short film, almost like the way that a memory would work in your mind. I get a little like kind of mini film, and so I'll, I'll share that. But I don't want you to forget that God made your body, your physicality, and he can speak to you through your body. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, Paul says this. He says that uh, people who are spiritually mature, have become so by training their senses. The word in Greek, I believe, is astheteria. And it, it means your five, your, your, it means your senses, your, your actual physical faculties. Through their senses, through training their body to hear God physically even, they've become mature. So what if, you know, I've heard stories of this. This has actually only happened to me one time, just to be full disclosure, but I've heard stories of people who they have a physical issue that they didn't have previous to that morning or to that day, and they go, maybe, you know, is there anybody here in the gathering who has this physical issue? And when they share that physical issue and they pray for that person, it goes away in their body. Could God speak through your body? Yeah, he made it. It's his. He can use it. So once you feel like you have somewhat of a, like a sense, let's call it that, you have a sense, the next step is to consider it. You know, remember that the gospel interprets everything. In fact, I I don't have time to go into it, but it is very fascinating. Uh, We have an entire chapter in 2 Thessalonians where Paul is rebuking a church for believing a false prophet. There's a church in, in, uh, in 2 Thessalonians, they have believed a false uh, prophet, and Paul rebukes them. How does he do it? By telling them, no, 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 don't you guys know? This is the gospel, not that. This is the gospel. The gospel filters everything. It acts as like a strainer, and you place any utterance, any sense, any word through it, and whatever passes the gospel test is to be received and applied in wisdom in the, in the community of believers with the Holy Spirit. Also, I want you to understand the covenant that we live under. See, the purpose of the old covenant was to show humanity that they needed a savior. Humanity needed to be saved. From the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3, all the way back to there, you are seeing this, this, there's going to be a savior one day who comes and redeems humanity. And this is why the Old Testament is often so severe. The severity of sin, sin is severe, What sin does to a human is severe. So the severity of sin is being confronted with the severity of righteousness through the law. Sin is so severe that it warrants judgment, which is why often, you know, you're like, man, the way that this guy is talking about prophecy is not the way that Ezekiel was prophesying. It's not the way that Jeremiah was prophesying. Well, yeah, because the Old Testament prophets are confronting the severity of sin in people's lives with the severity of the law. But how many of you guys understand, we live in the new covenant. There was a moment where Jesus died, he was resurrected, and it actually changes everything. 
So here's kind of my summary, uh, if you will. The goal of Old Testament prophecy was to show Israel the correct way to live through the severity of discipline. New Testament prophecy's goal is that we would find the treasure even amongst the mess of people's lives and call them to it. Why? Because God is leading people to repentance through his kindness. It's a, his strategy has changed because of the cross, because of the resurrection. Like I've said before, it doesn't take a prophet to point out what's wrong in somebody's life. It takes a prophet to point out what could be, what could be through the Holy Spirit and invite them to it. You know, just the other day I was driving down the road and uh, I have my, my two kids in the car. I'm driving home and I look over and there is a very rough looking woman, a woman whose uh, face bears uh, the evidence of a very difficult life. And she's kind of scantily dressed and dirty. And, you know, I used to live in Portland. I, I had people uh, in similar condition who basically lived on my doorstep, essentially, for years. And it wasn't, I didn't really think about it very much. But here in Newburgh, it's a little bit, that's, that's a little, that's not as, as common, I'll say that. So I, I look over and I see her and I think, oh, gosh, wow, <laughs> that looks pretty rough. And all of a sudden, my eye catches my daughter in the back seat. I'm seeing her in her in her car seat. I see her beautiful little face, and it hits me. That woman was somebody's daughter. That woman was somebody's baby. That was somebody's baby. You know, C.S. Lewis. He says, "You know, you have never met a mere mortal. You've never met a mere mortal." If you could really see them, you would see the divine creature that they really are. So prophecy is unearthing the real person from the grime, from the weight, from the burden of this life. Paul says, you know, we, we, you know because of Christ, we no longer know anybody by the flesh. We now choose to know them by the Spirit. And that takes incredible, takes discipline, takes work. So is what you're hearing strengthening, encouraging, or comforting? Does it call somebody into their destiny? If so, then take a risk and share it in faith. You know, I, I, this is like a culture piece for Saints Hill. I try to dial this down rather than dramatize it. You know, sometimes I got a word, of, a word from the Lord and thus saith the Lord. He says, no, I don't, I don't want to do any of that. Your voice, when you prophesy, just should be your own voice, your normal speaking voice. Everything should be offered in humility. This could be from God. It could be just me. I don't know, but I'm going to take a risk. Maybe this is for you, right? And you just never know what could happen. You never know if that is the moment that that person has been waiting for their whole life. All of a sudden, a light beam of hope comes into their life, and they go, oh, he sees me differently than I see myself. I remember the first time uh, this ever really happened for me. I, this is um, six, seven years ago now. Uh, I was on a church staff, and we were learning to prophesy. We were learning to actually pay attention to the voice of God in our lives. And uh, we're sitting at a staff meeting, and um, there's this, there's this uh, one of my friends. Um, he, he's sitting there, and he says, I want to see if this stuff is really real. I'm like, yeah, I think all of us do. And he goes, all right, I have a, an issue in my life I've told none of you about. And, I, and we're going to see if God wants to speak to me on the issue. And if he speaks to me, I'll believe this. If he doesn't speak through one of you, I don't know if I can believe this. So we're all like, whoa, okay. Um, all right. So we take time to be quiet. and Everybody's silent, you know. 
minute goes by, a couple minutes go by, and all I can think about is what I'm going to do after work. I'm like, I can't wait to get home and see my wife, and maybe we're going to go to this restaurant. You know, I'm just thinking, like, we're going to do so, you know. I'm like, how, this is, you know, we're in this, I'm in the stuffy office, and this is kind of boring, right? And all of a sudden, I get this picture in my mind. I see his wife standing with a baby. Now, he doesn't have any children. So this is like, even for like prophetic types, they're like, no babies, don't prophesy babies. Uh, he's like standing, she's standing with a baby in front of a white picket fence and a home. And I'm like, I am not sharing this because <laughs> I'm his same age and I know how mad I would be if somebody gave me that word. I'm like, okay, just don't tell my wife. I told, fine that you told me, don't tell my wife. So, that comes to mind. Now, people have started sharing with them. They're like, oh, I just see a waterfall, and you're under it, and you're getting drenched. And he's like, no. <laughs> and somebody's like, I see you're on a horse. He's like, I hate horses. <laughs> and finally, I'm like, my heart's like pounding. I'm like, okay. I'm like, all right. I, here's what I saw, and I tell him, I see your wife holding this baby in front of a white picket fence, and he starts bawling, just, just heaving. He's heaving, and, and I'm like shocked, like, what? What? I'm sorry. <laughs> and he just looks up, and he's, he's just can hardly get out. He's like, his dad had, he had this really rough relationship with his dad. And he said, I've been terrified to be a dad that I would do what my dad did to me. And I needed to hear it from God that he knew I could be a father. And now he has four kids or three kids. I don't know how many kids does he have? Like three, four kids. Anyway, he's a dad now. So powerful. It's so powerful. But sometimes I do want to just say this. That's an awesome story. But sometimes you get it wrong and that's okay too. I remember, maybe you remember this, Andoni and Jake. We were at a restaurant. Remember this? It's so uncomfortable. Even like, I still think about it. I'm like, that was like the worst meal I've ever had. Uh, we're all excited. We're like, God's speaking to us. He's using us. He's moving. He's planting this church. It's so exciting. And we're like, we're going to prophesy over our waitress. Well, it was my idea. I don't know if you guys, you're probably like, nope, back out. I'm like, the waitress comes by, and I'm like, hey, I, uh, you know, I used to say this when I lived in Portland. I said, hey, you know, Portland's kind of a weird place. And they're like, oh, yeah, Portland's weird. I'm like, this is going to be really weird. Um, so I, like, share with her. I'm like, hey, uh, you know, does this mean, I don't even remember what the word is. Does this mean anything to you? Something about a sister? Okay. I'm, I blocked it out. And she's like, she's like, what? No. She's like, what are you trying to do right now? And I was like, uh, nothing, I, I'm sorry. I mean, it was truly like the worst possible. And she's like, geez, that's so weird. And then we hear her talking to the other table. She's like, you will never believe. These guys just try to do this weird thing. And I'm, I'm like, oh. Yeah, so I had to, yeah, so I had to move. It was horrible. <laughs> you 
You know, but I thought about it, and we've talked a lot about this. Because my identity is settled in Christ. In other words, because I am not, my value or worth is not dependent on what other people think or how good my prophetic word was. I have a dad that I'm playing with. My identity, my identity is settled, so I'm freed up to risk in faith just for the potential that the kingdom could come through me. See, our goal is to love. And if you start with the motivation of love, I want to love through this. I'm not trying to do some weird Holy Spirit power thing. I'm not, I'm not trying to self-actualize. I'm actually trying to love. Then you really can't go wrong. We're following the way of love. So then lastly, especially for those who are receiving a word or hearing it, here's my kind of last tip. Test it. Test it. Here's what Paul says. He says, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject evil of Reject every kind of evil. All prophecy, all prophetic notions should be run through the gospel filter like we've talked about and should be interpreted by the community. But I also want to say this. There's no need to judge the person. If somebody gives you a prophetic word and you're like, that was weird, you don't need to judge them. They've already been judged by the cross, okay? So they're good. They don't need to be judged. The word needs to be judged. And you know what you get to do? You get to be like, that was a weird word. I'm going to flush it. I don't need to listen to that. I'm not going to revisit it. I don't think it was for me. No harm, no foul, right? Um, we, we don't need to judge the person. We judge the word. Look, guys, I want a church alive. I think you do too. I, d- I don't want to just come and like play church. You know, when we went from the evenings to the mornings, we began, it felt like we were like playing church. Like you come together, we have some songs, there's a teaching. In the evening, our evening gathering that we used to have, it felt like risk. It felt gritty. You didn't know what was going to happen. And so honestly, like this has been my heart for this whole series is like, I want to recapture risk. I want to recapture the church alive. I want a place where the thoughts of God are moving and pushing his bride into beauty. Where individuals are getting filled with God's high view of them. And where children are raised with their prophetic destiny understood. I want us to love the prophetic. I want us to love the prophetic. So we need to honor it. We need to make room for us to practice it. The scriptures are clear. What you value in the kingdom, you're going to see more of. We value the prophetic at St. Hill. So if you want to be a person who attracts the thoughts of God, then you got to value them. Come to pre-gathering prayer. You know, Paul paints this spontaneous church gathering picture of, you know, prophecy happening. Honestly, as a church gathering gets larger, I see that getting more difficult. So come to pre-gathering. It's a smaller space where we can practice this prophetic stuff as a community. But practice it with your friends. You know, we do this as a staff regularly. We'll get a staff meeting together, and we'll just say, let's just listen and see if God's saying anything to anybody. And, you know, nine times out of ten, everybody had a word for one person. And it's like time to minister to them. They needed it more than anybody else. It can be very powerful. Make it your name, your aim, to hear God's thoughts on a matter. You know, this is something that I do. If I have an issue in front of me, I'll just text somebody in the church, friends of mine in the church, prophets in the church, and I'll just say, hey, can you listen for me? I'm not going to give you any context. I'm not telling you what this is about. I want you to just listen and see what comes to mind. And I've been continually amazed by that. 
You know, the Psalms tell us, taste and see the goodness of God. And I think prophecy is so highly valued in the scriptures because it's the tasting practically of the divine recreating words of God in our world. So may we all follow the way of love and prophesy. Would you stand? Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.